why don't we pick up our reading today. I want to begin in verse 3, and we're going to study verses 6 through 10, the last part of verse 6 and through through verse 10 today. So to get our minds prepared, um, let's go ahead at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Father, again, open our minds and hearts to receive what you would have for us today in your word. That we'll take it out of here, Lord, and meditate on it and chew on it all week to truly understand what redemption is. And we thank you for the opportunity to meet. We thank you for the freedom we have in Christ and the fact that we can join here together as a body of believers. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Redemption. This is the key of our study today. Redemption. We are redeemed. And it costs Christ everything. You know... Jesus in his public ministry and his earthly ministry, I mean, it would have been easy to follow him in the beginning because, you know, he was multiplying fish, multiplying bread. He was healing people of their uh, infirmities. And the people who followed him in mass would have said, I'm sure, you know, hey, now here's a Messiah. Here's a Messiah we've been waiting for. You know, we have a welfare plan. <laughs> You know, Medicare, all paid, right? Easy to follow him around. Everyone who's sick, anytime we get sick, we go to him, he lays hands on us, he heals us. Anytime we're hungry, we don't have to work for our food anymore. You know, he'll take care of the politics of Rome and all of that so that we can have our rightful place here as a nation. So it would have been easy to follow him. But the closer Jesus got to the cross, the more difficult his teachings became. And Jesus basically said, you want to follow me? It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. You know, Jesus. what Jesus did not say is that, you know, I'm here to make you feel good. I'm here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to fulfill your every desire, you know, your dreams and your goals. You know, he never said that. And just as Christ never said it, the church in the gathering of the body is not people trying to find themselves. Now, that's a major misconception today. The church is a place we go to find ourselves, right? To, to A place to get our felt needs met. Just as Christ didn't attempt to meet people's felt needs, the church is not a place 
to meet people's felt needs. Jesus said, you want to you want to follow me? You need to lose yourself. To follow me, you must lose yourself. Get tired of yourself. Weary of yourself. Sick of yourself. To follow me. That's why he said, if you're going to follow me, you must pick up your cross daily and follow me. That's what church is. Church is the gathering of a bunch of wretched sinners who've come to grace and have been redeemed by the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the church. This is a place we come to get further away from ourselves. Not to meet our felt needs. This is not emotionalism. This is a transformation of the thinking. Right? That's the body. Because we line up our thinking with his. His thinking doesn't need to change. Churches does. Amen? We've been redeemed. The price was great. Jesus picked up his cross. It cost him everything. That we can sit here today and rejoice over Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There was a price to be paid for you not to have condemnation placed on your account and my account. Amen to that? Amen. Beloved. So my hope today is that you will walk away from here with a deeper, richer understanding of redemption. A deeper, richer understanding of the grace that was provided for you and me. That we can rightfully stand before God and say, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. If you're not in Christ, you will pay for your own sin. You will be eternally separated from God when you die. That's just word. So the word redemption is the key to our study today. It's a word that's really we're unfamiliar with in the world today. When you think of redeeming something, I think of myself was when I was a kid. My mom used to collect S&H green stamps. And we would go in and you'd be able to redeem them for like prizes. And back in the 60s, early 70s, everyone I knew that were adults basically smoked cigarettes. Right, and I remember a brand of cigarettes, Old Gold, filtered, and there was a green coupon in there, and we used to be able to save those. And my dad had them in bulk, and uh, we trade them in, and we we redeemed them for a radio, right when FM came out. You know, we had this little radio. I think he may still have it in his garage. I don't know. My wife is very frugal when she shops. She redeems coupons. He gets the whole two-for-one deal and all of that. That's what we think of typically when we think of redeeming something. To get a true understanding of what the word redeem means, to get a true understanding of what redemption is, we have to go to God's Word. And that's what we'll do here every week. So as in the text we just read, we know Paul is speaking of the body of Christ in expansive terms, in very broad terms. He's speaking of the church worldwide, the universal church, those who are truly redeemed, those who've been brought into the family of God. That's what he's talking about. We're the body of Christ. Okay? Christ is the incarnate Son of God. For John chapter 114 says this, And the Word, which is Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt means a hut or temporary residence. Literally, Jesus tabernacled amongst us. Jesus pitched a tent among us. Jesus pitched a tent of human flesh on the earth. 
and dwelt among us for a period of time. The incarnate Son of God, God, came out of heaven and became a human being. Tabernacled among us. So here's Paul speaking again in these broad terms about the living organism, which is the body of Christ. The head of the body, Jesus himself. He's the head, we're the body, we're in submission to him. He brings us up to his thinking so that the church walks in a manner that's worthy of the calling. The church lives out the faith as representatives of Jesus. We're Jesus in the world. That's who we are. We are Jesus in the world. You've heard the old saying that you're, you're the only Bible that some people may ever read. Heard that? A lot of truth in that. We are walking Bibles. Paul goes on and he talks about the mystery which was hidden in the past. The mystery of the Old Testament revealed in the New. That Christ is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament pictures and foreshadowings. Everything that the temple represented, Jesus was the fulfillment of. We know that we are planned, the church was planned before what? The foundation of the earth. He made that clear for us in verse 4. So in verses 1 through 14, there's three things that are being defined for us that are past, present, and future. Okay, the past is the election. Okay, the doctrine of election that you were chosen, if you're in Christ, you were chosen before the foundation of the earth. That's eternity past. And then the present is redemption. The redeeming work of the Son of God in our place. We're going to learn about that today. And then next week we'll look to the future where it talks about the inheritance that we have as believers in Christ. The ultimate inheritance being heaven itself. Past, present, future. Election, redemption, inheritance. So what plan did God have to elect his own to himself? His plan was redemption. That was the plan. Redemption. Redemption. Redemption is this. An act of God by which he himself pays as a ransom the price for sin. An act of God by which he himself pays as a ransom the price for sin. Consequence of sin is what? Death. He paid the ransom. He came to live and to die. That was the price. That was the price. You see, here's the thing. Sin is the very thing that has infuriated the holiness of God. If you were here last week on Easter, we learned what? That it pleased the Father to smite the Son. That all of the wrath of God in His holiness was, un was unleashed upon His Son. See, there was a price. Major price for you to be able to stand and say, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I've been bought back. So redemption is deliverance by payment of a price. Okay, we know that God's a God of mercy. Amen? Okay? Just as he's a God of mercy, he's also a God of wrath. There's mercy because there's wrath. He's holy. He's just. Just as God is a God of love, he's also a God of hate. Whoa, wait a minute. Right? There's one thing God hates. It's sin. God hates sin. I can show you Old Testament and New Testament. He hates sin. So much so that he unleashed his wrath on his son. Let's not forget that. God's attributes must be equally balanced. Love, hate for sin. Mercy, because there's wrath. He's just. There will be justice paid. See, justice was paid in our place. That was Christ. Christ took the just judgment of the Father. In Paul's day, when he wrote this, there were six million slaves in the Roman Empire. Six million. You could go into the marketplace of any city, and they would be buying and selling slaves like 
you buy and sell furniture and swap meet. Buying and selling. A man could come in, someone could be on a slave walk, and that man could purchase that slave, not only for himself, but he could purchase that slave to buy his freedom and let him go. He was up for sale on the slave block, auctioned off. A man could walk in to the market square, purchase him for the sake of setting him free. Offering a slave owner money. He was a captive. Now he's been set free. Every human being is a captive to sin. Every human being born is captive to sin. No person is free. We are bound, we are enslaved to sin. Conceived in sin, born into sin, having a sin nature, we're sinners gripped by sin. Everybody. You know, there's a lot of people who think, well, I'm a good person. You know, I keep the Ten Commandments. No, you don't. (laughs) Jesus said you've broken them one, you've broken them all, right? He's not talking about the outward law. He's talking about the law within. You might not be a murderer, but you have hate enough in your heart to murder. You might not be an adulterer, but you've lusted in your mind, which proves you're an adulterer to God, because he sees the thinking. He sees the heart. So no person's good enough. Any people who think they're good enough, they're only comparing themselves to other people. And it's always someone worse than themselves. Right? You want to compare yourself to somebody, you have to compare yourself to God himself. If you want to get to heaven, you have to be better than Christ. So, there's no one good, no not one, right? John 8.34 says this, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Whoever. You know who the whoever is? All, Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? All of sin. So, believer, here's for you, Romans 6.17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You were delivered from the grip of sin. Set free. You've been set free. Just like the slave in the market square. Someone came in, bought you, set you free. You've been set free from the grip of sin in Christ. Paul said in Romans 7.14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Romans 8.21, which we read, the opening of the service, the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We'll learn more about that later in the service this morning. So clearly, clearly, the captor of every man and every woman is sin. Just like that. Gripped in sin. Held in sin. Remember we talked about a couple weeks ago that no one has a free will? Someone outside of Christ, your will is enslaved and in bondage to sin, period. Only the Spirit of God can set someone's will free. Only the power, supernatural work of God. For man and woman to be released from the grip of sin, there must be a price paid. That price is death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Bible clearly says that the life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Jesus paid the price for sin to set the captive free. This lies the whole point of redemption. This is the point of redemption. We've been set free. Set free from the bondage of sin. Romans 6.18 And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You've been set free from the bondage of sin, 
and freed into obedience and slavery to the master, master shepherd, Jesus Christ. Free. Now I'm, in, I'm a bond slave, a willing slave. That's a bond slave. Freely willing to serve the master. So how are we free? We're free by Christ paying the price that sin demanded. Death. Death. Blood. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Who was nailed to a tree but other than Jesus Christ, the only one that could pay and meet God's standard of perfection. The Son of God. The one who dwelt among us. He's the only one that could meet that price. But Christ took on a nature like ours. He became a human being for the price of paying that redemption for mankind. He's called us out. He's redeemed us. Now, as we get moving on, there's, there's five Greek words that have to do with legal matters in the Roman Empire. Okay, I'm not going to give you a lot of the Greek words. I'm just going to give you the English translation, all right? And they're actually written, I think, in your, uh, yeah, they're written in your handout. The first one has to do with acquittal, okay? Now, follow me along. The first one has to do with being acquitted. That's where we get the English word justification. And as a believer, if you're in Christ, you are justified means you are declared free from how much blame? All blame. All blame. The second word that's used has to do with a cancellation of a debt. And that's where we get the word forgiveness. Imagine, if you're in debt today, someone coming up to you and saying, hey, guess what? Your house is paid, your cars are paid, all your bills are paid for the rest of your life. You're out of debt, never to be in debt again. Don't you jump up and down? That's forgiveness. The third one has to do with sonship, and that's where we get the word adoption, and we studied that two weeks ago. Sonship. Adopted into the family of God. The fourth means to make resolution. That's where we get the word reconciliation. And then this last one means to purchase or set free at a great price. That's redemption. That's what redeeming is. So we're justified, okay? We're acquitted because this is what we were. We were accused, completely guilty, but yet declared righteous. We were forgiven. You and I stand as everlasting debtors before God. But he released the debt. We've been adopted. The sinner stands as a stranger to God. A total stranger to God. But in Christ, we've been brought in as sons. Amen? Adopted in. You were adopted. I was adopted in. Strangers made sons. Reconciliation. We stand as an enemy. When you reconcile somebody, you're reconciling, you're bringing together two enemies. You want to reconcile them. We've been reconciled to God. And then redemption, the sinner stands as a slave in bondage but set free. That's redemption. You know, when you stand as a slave, you're just passed around from one owner to another, used and abused, right? That's what sin does. You just run around. Sin is fun for a season, the Bible says. It seems fun. It'll tear you up. It'll eat you up and spit you out, right? It will. You know, there's a bumper sticker out that says, you know, I wish I knew everything I did. I wish I knew all that I knew when I was 19. You know, when you're a teenager, you think you know it all. You think you got the tail by the world, the world by the tail. Right? And the older you get, the more you realize how ignorant I was. When you give yourself to sin, you become a captive, just passed around from one lust to the next. Christ delivers us from that. 
So all of these terms speak of the wonderful work of salvation. In theology, we call it soteriology. The doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation. Very important that we know these things as believers. There's no reason to come and not learn God's word for the sake of growth. Amen? So we're going to look at five points today in our passage. First of all, number one, we want to look at our Redeemer. Point number one, verse six, second part of the verse, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. Who's our Redeemer? The Beloved One. The Beloved One. In him we have forgiveness. You know why I call, you know why we're called in the Bible the Beloved? Beloved of the Lords? Because we're in the Beloved One. The Beloved One is the Son of God. The Beloved One is Christ Himself. My favorite term of endearment for the body of Christ is Beloved. Good morning, Beloved. Beloved. We are the Beloved Ones because we're in the Beloved One. Christ. Therefore, we are the Beloved of the Lords. He's the Redeemer. First John 3 says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. Remember in Mark 1, God speaks from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The beloved Son of God. And because you are in Christ, you are the beloved of the Lords because you are in the beloved Son. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have, here it is, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption comes through the blood, period. Redemption comes through the finished work of Christ. So the only way to be called the beloved of the Lord is to be in the beloved one, to be in Christ. You know, a lot of people say, well, we're all children of God. You ever hear that? It's not true. Everyone in the world is not God's children. We are enemies of God outside of Christ. We stand as aliens or strangers from God. We'll see it in the text this morning. Alienated from him. But because of Christ's work, he brings us in, and we become now the beloved of God's because of the beloved son. He's the redeemer. There's our redeemer. Christ himself. So he can literally say, look, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. God literally looks at you if you're in Christ. This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Because you're in the beloved one. That's the Redeemer. That should give you hope today. Okay? So, verse 6. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, verse 7, we have what? Redemption through his blood. Okay. We. Who's the we? Now here's the redeemed. We see the Redeemer, now we look at the redeemed. In case you've forgotten who you are, okay, we do not want to forget who we were. Alright? Look at chapter 2, Ephesians. Verse 1. And you he made what? Alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the cur the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's who we were. We were alienated from him. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made 
in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Aliens. That's who we were. We have our Redeemer. We see who the redeemed are. Alienated heathen is who we were. Are you not glad to be in the family of God? Adopted in. Heirs of the throne. Rejoice in being the redeemed. Rejoice. Titus 2.13 speaks of Jesus our Savior, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people who are zealous for good works. When he brings you into the family of God, who do you want to glorify? Him. Certainly not us. You don't want to glorify yourself anymore. Because once you come into the family of God, you realize, man, it's not about me. It's not about me. If you're serving and you're growing weary of serving for the kingdom, remember who you're serving. If you're upset because no one notices you, remember who you're serving. Remember who you're serving. Look to what your motives are if you're in Christ. Because you've been set free by the Redeemer. And don't forget where you came from. We're wretched, miserable, putrid sinners saved by grace. Amen? Grace. Grace. All have sinned, responding by faith, those who are in Christ, and whom he is well pleased. He's well pleased with you. Because you're in the beloved one. You are the beloved of the Lord's. The redeemed. Point number three. We have the redeemer. We have the redeemed. And now we look at the ransom. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his what? Blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. His blood poured out. His life literally poured out. As I said earlier, the life is in the blood. You drain the blood from your body, you're a dead man. You're a dead woman. Room temperature, just like that. Life is in the blood. His blood, his life, his soul, all that he is, all means the same thing, was poured out for you. was poured out for me. He gave his life, his soul. You know what pure justice justice would be? We know that God is a just God. It would be for us to pay it ourselves. That would be pure justice. Well-deserved, amen? Well-deserved. If you don't think it's well-deserved, your thinking's not right. You and I deserve that price. The payment for sin. Eternal separation from God. But his justice is mingled with mercy. Unmerited favor. That's what mercy is. Unmerited favor. Grace. Unmerited favor. The implication here? He gave his life. All that he is, he gave for you. By the shedding of his blood. That was the ransom. That was the price. Hebrews 10.14 For by one offering... By one offering, him on the Christ, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart to made holy for all time. By one offering, the offering of Christ on the cross, he, God, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, those who are in Christ. Once and for all, perfected. That's our position. Don't forget, your position is Christ, is perfection. First Peter 1.18 says, know this. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
Revelation 5 says they're going to sing a new song in heaven, right? And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your what? Blood. Christian, don't ever diminish, do not ever become callous to the blood of Christ. So many Christians say, oh, let's not sing about the blood, that's offensive. You better believe it's offensive. Let's not talk about the blood. You know what? The life is in the blood and you wouldn't be redeemed without the blood. Period. By the blood. You'd have no residence of the Holy Spirit in you if it wasn't for the shed blood of Christ. You'd not be part of the church if it was not for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That was the ransom. That was the ransom that was paid. Jesus said in Matthew 26, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Point number four, we see the end result. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, in the Old Covenant, Israel would have understood this reality on the Jewish Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, right? The high priest would bring into the temple, what? Two clean, without blemish, goats. Okay? He would take one, cut it in half, lay it on the altar, altar, sprinkle its blood on the altar, sprinkle its blood on the mercy seat as sacrifice for the sins of Israel. Then he would bring up the second goat, lay his hands on the head of the goat, right? Praying about the sins of Israel. They would take that goat out to the deepest woods, as far away from the temple as possible, to be sent away and freed forever. That's forgiveness. That's the picture that Israel had in their sacrificial system that pointed to Christ. That's the ransom. The result? Gone away. Sin. Gone. Sending it away. That's what it symbolized. You were chosen when? Before the world began, right? How many of your sins were in the future when Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago? All of them. Before the foundation of the world. Forgiven. I've been crucified when Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Your sins were nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago in Christ. The result, Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Get an airplane today, head due north. Head due north. Eventually, what will you do? You'll be heading south, right? North and east, or north and south meet. If we get an airplane and head due east, you will always be heading east. East and west never meet. North and south meet. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west. It never meets, never to be brought up again. Gone. Sent away. That's the end result. That's the end result. They're infinitely gone. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming down to be baptized, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes it away. Isaiah 44:22. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. You're sent away. Romans 8, that's why Romans 8, 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Who do not walk according to flesh, but what do they walk according to? The Spirit. The Spirit. The character of a true believer is that he walks in the Spirit. Because his sins have been sent away. 
sent away as far as the east is from the west. God cried out of heaven. He said out of heaven, Matthew 17, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Today, he said, This is my beloved Mark in whom I am well pleased. My beloved David. Right? My beloved Christian. My beloved Erica in whom I am well pleased. Because your sins are as far as the east is from the west. Do we deserve condemnation? Yes. It's been set aside. We deserve it. 1 John 2.12 says this, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Because the glory goes to him. It's for his name that you're forgiven. Ephesians 4.32, you can jot this down. 4.32, Ephesians. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You know what that says? You're forgiven. Live like it. Live like a forgiven Sinner, forgiven. Sin set, sent away forever. Colossians 2.13 You being dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All trespasses. Now, 1 John 1.9, right, we say what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do what? To cleanse us and forgive us. That's a daily washing. So when we pray, because of our sin, we still have sin in us, amen? We still have sin in us. We need the continued forgiveness of cleansing, but not the continued forgiveness of redemption. We need the continued forgiveness of the cleansing, but not the continued forgiveness of redemption. Redemption was once for all and forever forgiven. But we come to Christ daily because we live in a sin filled world, we have sin in us, and we give ourselves many times to the what? The flesh. Cleansing. You're accepted in the beloved one. You're his beloved. You know what a miserable Christian is? Someone who's a Christian who's miserable? Is someone who is either living a secret life, they may, they're saved, but they are caught up in patterns of sin and it makes you miserable because when you've been brought to the truth and you realize the truth and you realize the price that Christ paid, it is miserable. A Christian who's living a carnal, secret life is more miserable than a lost sinner because you know the truth. You know the truth. Misery. Another miserable type of Christian is one who understands the forgiveness of sins, but he is in bondage to some sin in his past that he can't forgive himself of. Although Christ has. That's another way to live a miserable Christian life. A lot of people are full of misery and guilt, as they should be if they're not in Christ, because if you're not in Christ, guilt is a mechanism placed there by God to hopefully bring you to your knees, to the throne of grace. But if you're a Christian, saved, redeemed, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, that was the ransom paid. You're truly in Christ. Hey, the sin is gone. Let it go. Pastor John MacArthur says this. He says, if you can't forgive yourself, you may have a God complex. You are not a higher standard than God. See, don't forget whose you are, Christian. Don't forget whose you are. Because in Christ, he's granted you his what? Grace. 
Alexander McLaren, great Bible expositor, lived in late uh, mid-1800s, died in 1910. He said this, the word grace, check this out, the word grace is a kind of shorthand for the whole sum of unmerited blessings which come to men through Jesus Christ alone. Look, if you're a true Christian and you are in bondage to some sin of your past, perhaps you were a young lady, you had, as a young lady, you had an abortion. Perhaps you're a young man who led your girlfriend to get an abortion, and you can't remove yourself from the guilt and the shame of that. Christ paid for that. He let it go in Christ. You've got to let it go. Let it go. He paid for it. Some sin that you're in bondage to of the past, you're cleansed and you're forgiven. He purchased you off the slave block. You don't have to be in bondage to it anymore. He purchased you. It's gone. It's gone. Let it go. Allow him to do a healing work in you. You've got to let him do it. I mean, you've got to trust the word of God. Redeemed. You were bought back at a great price. That blood covers everything. Don't live like that. He set it free. He set you free. You're forgiven. It's out of his mind. It's in the depths of the deepest sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. So if that's in his mind gone, it's set out of the wilderness like that goat, you let it go too. Let it go. Let him heal you today. Because you're in Christ. You're covered. You're redeemed. You were bought from the grip of sin, paid for. you got to forgive yourself because he's forgiven you already. Guilt? I messed up raising my kids. They're all running amok. I've come to Christ since then. It's forgiven. There's consequences that we have to deal with. Amen? But you're forgiven. Corrie Ten Boom, great Dutch woman, lived uh, during World War II in Holland. And her and her family would hide Jews during Nazi invasions up in this place, in this little place behind a wall. And there's a book written about it called The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom was arrested. Her and her sister were put in a concentra- Nazi concentration camp, and her sister was killed. Her father was killed. She went on actually to meet the murderer of her sister. He forgave. She forgave him. She talked about forgiveness. This is what she said: When when I bring my sins to the Lord Jesus, He casts them into the depths of the sea, forgiven and forgotten. He also puts up a sign that says, "No fishing allowed." <laughs> Don't go fishing up your sins that are paid for. Forget it. You'll be miserable if you do. You will be a miserable Christian because you don't understand the price of redemption. What you want to learn today is the price of redemption. It's gone. Let it go. Let it go. Why? Look at verse 7, second part of verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, look at this, according to the riches of his grace. Notice the word according to. It's according to the riches of his grace. Now his grace is infinite, amen? It's according to that. So, it's according to his riches. Here's the thing, guys. It's not something that comes out of his riches. It's according to his riches. Okay. Now I have a friend here. He works for a nonprofit organization, and one of the things he does, one of his jobs in this nonprofit organization, is to go meet with very wealthy people to try to get them to donate to the nonprofit. Right? 
He basically asks for money. That's what he does. And what he said to me the other day is he says, one of the rules of thumb is when you go speak to people that are very wealthy to give to your organization, you always ask them for much more than you think they're going to give. So if you want a quarter of a million, ask for a half a million. Right? You go high. Right? No matter how much that man gives, he's going to give out of his wealth. He's not going to give you at all. He's going to give out of it. Christ gives according to his riches, which are infinite. So the price that was paid, the ransom that was paid, the end result being forgiveness, is according to the riches of his grace. According to, not out of, big difference. So you've got to understand the forgiveness that he has for you is according to his grace, which is everlasting, infinite grace. According to. Verse 8. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Abound. Overflowing in abundance. Overflowing in abundance. Unable to contain it. Continually overflowing. You know you're saved by grace? You know that daily you stand in and walk in what? Grace is a believer? It says his mercies are new what? Every morning. His mercies are new. Thank him for that. Praise him for that. You can walk in victory, Christians. Walk in victory for the price that was paid. Your sins are set apart. They're never to be brought up again. When you do sin, which we all do, confess it. Turn from it. And you're cleansed. Move on. You remain it, there's going to be consequence. There's just going to be consequence. And it's miserable. Consequences are miserable, but God chastens those he loves, you see? According to his riches, not out of, according to. Sin made us poor. Grace makes us rich. Sin made you a slave. Right? Grace sets you free. Romans 5.20 says, 5 verse 20 says, Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Grace abounded much more. Wisdom and prudence is insight that is granted to us as believers. We're given as a believer insight to God's truth. Verse 9 says, He makes known to us the mystery. Okay, look at it. The mystery of His will. The word mystery has nothing to do with any type of bizarre or weird thing. Okay? It's not mystic, like mysticism. Right? The mystery of His will, the mystery of the Old Testament hidden, revealed in Christ through the New Testament. We've been granted wisdom of God. It's a sacred secret is what it is. You know how we learned that you were chosen before the foundation of the earth? When you come in Christ, you become Christ, you're part of an inner circle. You're part of the family of God. You're brought in. Election, which we learned about two weeks ago, is a family secret. Okay, when you share the gospel with someone lost, you don't talk about being chosen before the foundation of the earth, right? You share the simple gospel, Jesus Christ came to die because you're a sinner, separated from God, you will pay for your sin, that's bad news. Christ came to live the perfect life in your place, met God, the Father's perfect standard, died in your place, rose from the dead, proving that he was Christ in the flesh, atoned for your sins. If you bow and repent and surrender your life to him, you're saved. And as they grow in the knowledge of Christ, they will come to realize through the study of Scripture that they were chosen before the foundation of the earth. That's a family secret. We don't share that with lost people, right? You give the simple gospel message and the Holy Spirit goes to work to convict them. He does the rest. 
We give the simple gospel. Holy Spirit does the work. Because a natural man, the Bible says, cannot understand the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them. It's a family secret, mystery, revealed to those who are God's. D.L. Modi used to pray this, Lord, save the elect, and then elect some more. You see, the same God who ordains the end, which is salvation, also ordains the means, which is the preaching of the good news. He empowers it. You're not going to change anybody. You're not going to transform anybody's thinking. It's going to be by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, by the simple gospel being presented. When you're brought into the family, chosen by God, you realize that, oh, wow, I was chosen. I do have the wisdom of God because I have his word. I have the Holy Spirit in me, which illuminates and initiates me into the family and initiates me into the understanding of the good news. Man has no ability to reach for the truth of God's word in his own strength. Zero. Impotent. Totally unable. It's by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, which he birthed into you, the understanding of the mysteries of God. Amen? You can rejoice over that. Point five. Point, point number five is the reason or the explanation. Verse 10. Let me read 9 again. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In who? In him. In him. So here's the reason. The dispensation of the fullness of times. It means, it means the complete history. The completion of history. Now, we share in the secret that God's going to gather everything to himself in the future in Jesus Christ. Everything. See, the world is splintered at the moment, ladies and gentlemen. It's splintered. Paradise, which God created, Paradise for man to live and dwell in for eternity and have a sweet, everlasting fellowship with God was splintered when man sinned. Paradise was lost. You got it? Paradise lost when man chose to sin in Adam. We've all been cursed with that sin, with a sin nature, right? Splintered. And then man was separated from God. Relationship severed. Chapter 3. Genesis. Chapter 4, Genesis. Man was separated from man when Cain killed his brother Abel. First murder, right? Man was separated from man. People attempted in Genesis 11 to, we will make a name for ourselves and we will build a tower to God, right? Tower of Babel. God's judgment? You want to know where all the languages came from? Look at chapter 11, Genesis. God separated them so they could not communicate with one another. God sends people out to bear witness of them around the world, right? God wants us, his children, to obey. If we don't obey, he'll chasten us into obedience. He got the people to go around the world. Their sign of judgment was division of tongues, so they couldn't understand each other, drive each other nuts. So they had to go. The earth was cursed when Adam sinned. The universe became subject to decay. Began to do this. Everything's moving towards what? 
disorder. Everything became subject to decay. We're all dying right here in this room together. We get a little bit closer to death every day, amen? Minute by minute, you get closer to death. That's a consequence of that. God one day is going to gather together everything in the ages to come in Christ. We will rule and reign with him because you are the beloved of the Lord's because you're in the beloved one. Redeemed, forgiven, holy, righteous, pure in the sight of God because of the imputed righteousness of Christ placed on your account. Brought into the family. So, again, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in heaven and which are on earth in him. We're part of the great eternal program of God because we are in the beloved. We're in the beloved one. You're in Christ and folded into the family of God. Understand the price of redemption. When you really understand the price of redemption, the price that he paid, you can't live a life that doesn't rightly represent his grace. How can you? If we fall into it, Go to a brother who's fallen and go to a sister who's fallen and lives contrary to that reality, forgiven by grace, and urge him, plead with him to get back on track, bring honor and glory to God through his life. You bought at a great price. I was bought at a great price. We're simply called to reflect the fact that we've been bought at a great price. Are you thankful for the price? Are you thankful for redemption? I hope that you have a greater understanding of redemption today. It cost him everything. He laid himself down. He picked up his cross, and he stumbled, and he tripped to Calvary. He laid himself down for you. He laid himself down for me so that you could be redeemed, covered by the blood, the life. So let's walk in that truth. 